Our Father and our God, we thank you for the privilege of coming around your words again. And we long to be changed by your words from within. And yet, God, as we have just been singing, we thank you again for Christ. And we thank you that he will keep our souls and that he will keep us to the very end and even beyond to eternal life. And so as we come to your word, may we come thankful for Christ, resting in him, and yet longing and striving to be more like him. We pray for Henry this morning. We pray that he will know your help as he brings your word um, to our brothers and sisters in Portadown. And may they too um, rest in Christ and um, just know your spirit at work changing them from within. And so wherever your word is, is preached this morning, we pray that your spirit would be at work here in Craigavon, around our country and even around our world, that you would be glorified and lifted high. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, please turn with me um, to the book of James. We're going to begin a series in James this morning, um, which will probably take us right through beyond Easter. Um, So we'll begin this this morning and we'll read the first 18 verses together. Um, So James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And we'll read the first um, 18 verses together. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And that steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the winds. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth 
death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. I'm sure we all know what it's like to be in two minds about something. Um, From simple things, perhaps buying new clothes, um, deciding what to eat at a restaurant, or deciding just where to go on a day out. To the bigger things, such as moving house, or choosing a school, or a career. Being in two minds, it's quite a part of normal life. And being in two minds can also be true of our spiritual lives. One moment we're kind, the next moment we're harsh. One moment we're sacrificial, and the next moment we are selfish. And as we look to our own hearts, only we know how two-minded we can really be. Through the letter of James... James addresses this spiritual issue of being double-minded, as he calls it, or having a divided heart. And he urges us towards an undivided heart, or wholeness. James is a letter in the New Testament you will probably know lots of phrases from. You've probably quoted at some point or other in conversation. So from what we just read, James 1.17, every good and every perfect gift is from above. James 1.19, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only. That's James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. In James 2, we show no partiality. James 2.26, faith apart from works is dead. James 3.6 tells us the tongue is a fire. James 4.8 tells us draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Some well-known phrases. The writer is James, the brother of Jesus, who's referred to in the Gospels. He wasn't one of the original twelve apostles, but we know from Acts he was one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church. And in this letter we have, he is writing to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Now when we hear twelve tribes, we often think of the Old Testament And perhaps here James is wanting the believers he is writing to to understand that they are the new people of God. He's writing to those who are literally dispersed, mainly Jewish Christians, living outside Palestine, living as exiles. And he wants to encourage and exhort them in the midst of their trials and temptations. James's words are applicable to all believers of all time, as we today are living as God's new people, 
living in exile, that is, living somewhere that will not be our final home, and all the time struggling to manage trials and temptations. Now, as James writes to these struggling believers, if you've read his letter before, you will know that he pulls no punches. James doesn't hang about. He gets straight to the points that he is wanting to make. He says things exactly as they are. And I personally really appreciate his black and white approach. There are over 50 imperatives or commands in this short letter. Um, James knows what he is about. And often, as we read James, it can be a hard read and a painful realisation of our own hearts. Also, James quotes more and expands more in the teachings of Jesus than any other New Testament writer, which would make sense as he grew up as the Lord's brother. Before Christmas, we studied the Beatitudes, and you'll be able to see those themes coming out in the teaching of James, as well as further teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. It's difficult to find a clear structure in James's letter. He moves quickly through various themes, looking at trials, temptations, the rich and poor, looking at faith and works, looking at speech. But I want to suggest that through all of these themes there is one strand... And that is his desire for God's people to reach spiritual wholeness or oneness. For God's people to come to having an undivided heart. James has great vision of where he wants God's people to be. And after a very short reading in verse 1, he gets straight to that. Look at verse 2. Now this part that we read, we read of chapter 1 this morning, it introduces different themes that will be expanded later in the letter. The main focus for us this morning will be striving for this oneness in trials and temptations. Look at verse 2 with me. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now the first and most simple thing to note is that Christians will have trials of various kinds. Persecution, poverty, stress, anxiety, bereavement, family breakdown, disappointments. Whatever you can think of, from what we might call low-grade trials to the most intense trials, Christian believers will experience them. There is absolutely nothing about the Christian life that exempts you from trials. James says, when, not if. When you meet trials of various kinds, count it all joy. Now the counter consider is it's referring to our minds rather than an emotion. Or feeling. So James is not saying when you meet trials of various kinds, you should feel happy or you should feel joy. 
More he is saying, count it almost as an opportunity for all joy or complete joy. A deeper joy. Something much deeper than a feeling. And the reason is in verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Trials test our faith and strengthen our faith. Steadfastness there, it has the idea of carrying a heavy load for a long time. And perhaps that is your experience. You have been carrying a heavy load for a long time. And perhaps you feel that all you're doing is enduring. Perhaps you've even said something like, I'm I'm just enduring and no more. And if life has felt to you like no more than enduring, I want you to be encouraged this morning that your endurance is strengthening your faith. It's a bit like weights training. The only way to strengthen the muscle is by allowing it to experience resistance and to endure pain. And as you progress through heavier weights, you continue to feel the same pain. But as you endure the pain, you are actually being strengthened over the long haul as you gradually lift heavier weights. And so it is in the Christian faith. We are strengthened through heavy trials. And we could say the heavier the trial we endure, the more resistance comes to our faith, and yet the more opportunity for our faith to be strengthened. We do not enjoy trials, but we endure trials. And the goal of enduring is verse 4. Let steadfastness, or endurance, have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Similar to the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, where he said you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The goal here is maturing as a believer, perfecting our faith, living with an undivided heart that loves God, that becomes like God, and has complete joy. So you think about meeting various trials, we do not like them, but we can become more like God in there. And because of that, not because of the trial itself, but because of what God does in us through trials, we can count it complete joy. Now this isn't easy. And we lack what we need for this. James recognises that in the believers he's writing to. 
And so he says, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom in these various trials, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. We need to ask God for wisdom. Not wisdom to be able to know perhaps why this has happened at this time. Not wisdom to know how we can change and get out of our circumstances. But wisdom to see things as God sees them. Wisdom that enables us to think in the midst of trials, God is strengthening my faith. He is completing me. He is making me more like him. God, allow me to know this because then I can endure. This command is is to prayer is similar to the teaching of Jesus in Luke 11. There Jesus taught his disciples how to pray through the Lord's Prayer. Then he says, ask and it will be given to you for everyone who asks receives. And then he compares God as a father who willingly gives to his children. And similar here, James says, ask God for wisdom and it will be given to you. God won't hesitate about giving you his wisdom. It is his wisdom that enables you to endure trials that your faith may be strengthened and that you become more like him. This is the work that God wants to do in your life, in your trials, and so you can ask with confidence, knowing that God will do this for you. I remember reading a a John Piper article one time on prayer, and there was a little phrase in it that, that really stuck with me. And the phrase was, grace supplied in the midst of grace denied. Grace supplied in the midst of grace denied. See, God often denies our requests for our circumstances to be changed. He often denies our requests for pain to be taken away. That's grace denied. But in the midst of grace denied, he is there supplying grace that allows us to endure. Now there is a warning here as we come to God in prayer. Look at verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. See, the waves of the sea, they're continually up and down, up and down, up and down. They never stay the same. And James is issuing a warning to the one who constantly doubts. They don't panic here thinking, oh, well, I, I've died, I doubted at this time of my life and this time and this time. We've all doubted at some point or other. I think Abraham is a good example here for us. We read of Abraham in Romans 4. Now, we know that Abraham doubted God. 
okay, not least to provide a son for him in his old age. And yet we read of Abraham in Romans 4, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. You see, in the midst of Abraham's own weakness and doubts, he still held on to what God said, that we could say the pattern of his life was enduring by the word of God, and as he did that, he grew strong in faith. And so I want to encourage you, if you have doubted from time to time, but the pattern of your life is holding on to what God has said he will do in your trials, then you go to him with confidence, knowing he will not hesitate to give you what you need. We move on to verses 9 to 11. And here James addresses the rich and the poor a theme he will develop later in the letter. And I believe what we need to see here is that whether we are rich or poor, whatever our financial or material circumstances, we need God's wisdom to view those circumstances correctly. James says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. So a believer who has been met with the trial of poverty should not view their poverty through the world's wisdom, but through God's wisdom. They are not to view themselves as poor and lowly as the world would assess them, but rich according to God's standards. They are to live life with the perspective that in Christ they have been raised to the riches and the glory of heaven. And then the rich who have an abundance of the world's goods, could we say they have the trial of riches, they should not view their wealth through the world's wisdom, but through God's wisdom. They are not to view themselves as well off as the world would assess them, but to know the depths of their sinful hearts of which Christ has rescued them from. In other words, whatever your circumstances may be, as Paul said to the Corinthians, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. The one who is poor should not think, if I increase in wealth, that will bring me so much more security. The one who is rich should not think that their life is so secure because of their wealth. The wealth of the earth will pass away in a moment. The riches of heaven will last eternally. James says, each are to boast in the Lord. Find your identity and security in Christ alone. But James moves on to focus us on eternity. 
He says, verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Now, blessed here, again, it's not a feeling, it's not an emotion of happy. It actually speaks more about our position before God, which assures us of the crown of life before us. Crown of life is referring to eternal life that we will have with God in the future when Jesus returns and makes all things right. As Jesus spoke to the church in Smyrna in Revelation 2, it reminded me of these believers James is writing to. Um, Jesus spoke to the church in Smyrna, a church facing tribulation and poverty. He told them that they would have trials, that they would be tested, but Christ himself was in control of that and there would be a limit of time on their trials and testing. And Jesus says to the church in Revelation 2, he says, Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. You can endure now unto death because beyond death there is eternal life, whole and complete. As one writer says, if the end product is worth having, then the pain along the way is worth enduring. Verse 13, James moves to temptation. He says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. See, with every trial comes the temptation to sin. Again, from the most intense to the more low-grade trials that we experience daily. Think of the everyday trials. We sleep in, we run late, the traffic is bad, someone doesn't turn up for a meeting, we didn't get done all we planned, we're under pressure, we're under stress. Every external circumstance, trial, provides a test to your inward hearts. And James says, you've got to know this, you are not ever being tempted by God. Why? Because God is perfect and sinless. It is not <clears throat> possible for God himself to be tempted by evil. And therefore, it is impossible for him to be enticed into any evil and impossible for him to entice or tempt anyone else to sin. Now, we know God allows trials in our life. He never tempts us in those trials. But quite the contrary, as we have seen, he uses them to strengthen our faith. So when we meet trials and when temptation comes, <clears throat> no one should say, 
God is tempting me. We love someone or something to blame, don't we? If God hadn't put me in this situation and allowed these circumstances to happen, perhaps we blame people. They just wind me up. They just got on top of me. If they hadn't been late, if they had acted better, if their character had been better. James says, no, don't blame God. Don't blame others. Don't blame your circumstances. See what James says? He says, blame yourself. Blame yourself. Look at verse 14. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The language used here is, is language from fishing, where there's a, a bait that entices the fish, and the fish hooks on and it's dragged away. As we find ourselves in various circumstances, it's our own desire produces bait for us. We desire actions that God does not want for us and is not for our good. Oh, but the bait seems so right and so satisfying in the moment. And we all know by experience, we bite on the bait of our desires and we're dragged away and before we know it, we have given birth to sin. And sin, in turn, gives birth to death. Death to the life that God wants to give us. See, the greatest threat to the life that God wants to give us is our own sinful hearts. So James says, don't be deceived about God. My beloved brothers, verse 16. He says, far from God wanting you to sin, <clears throat> God wants your very best. He says, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is the Father, He is the Creator of the lights, the sun, the moon, the stars. And you know, as we look to the sun and the moon, again, we, we see them constantly change, don't we? They come and they go every day. But God is not like that. There is no variation with God. There is no change with God. God continually wants the best for his children. He, he will never want anything else. God will only give to his children gifts that are good and perfect. That brings us back to verse 4. The goal of enduring trials is to be perfect and complete. In every trial and every temptation, God does not change. No matter how long the trial, 
No matter how strong the temptation, God is always there to give us what we need to become more like him, become perfect and complete. It was his own desire to give us new life, verse 18. And as he perfects us, as he changes us, we are the first fruits or the initial stages. That work that he is doing in our lives is a sign of something much greater to come, perfectly restored whole creation with no trials and no temptations. And so there's such a great contrast here. Our own desire gives birth to sin that leads to death. God's desire gives birth to new life that leads to complete eternal life. And this life comes to us by the word of truth, that is Jesus Christ, who overcame every temptation and who endured the trials of this life, even the cross, dying for sin and bearing God's judgments. He endured it for the joy that was set before him. And so may you not grow weary or faint-hearted, but may you fix your eyes on Jesus. Let us pray.